0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the creator of Nitro, the founder of the NWO, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: Blessed as always, brother. Things are going great. Couldn't be happier. Looking forward to the weekend having the neighbors over. I don't usually do that kind of thing. In fact, this is the first time in 24 years that we've lived up here on this ridge that I've actually you know, driven over to a neighbor's house here and there and said, Hey, come on over for hors d'oeuvres and, and a couple cocktails. So I'm having a little neighborhood get together here tomorrow evening for the first time in 24 years. Awesome.
0: What? Okay. H- how long have your neighbors been there? Have they been there as long as you? Um, nope. We've been up here the longest. So I guess my question is why now? Why are you, why are you now? They didn't just move in. That's what I was getting to. right? No, no.
1: Well, one of them, two of them within the last year, but I think, um, I don't know. I just feel like I should, you know, in the area that we live in every once in a, every once in a while, you know, we get a really heavy blizzard or something and, you know, everybody's got to kind of come together to help each other out and dig each other out and, you know got a couple elderly elderly, you know, people that live down the road and will run into the store for them and pick up groceries and things like that. So it's just nice to get everybody together when it's not, you know, some kind of disaster.
0: <laughs> okay. I get it. I, I understand what you're doing now. You're laying the groundwork because it won't be long and you will be one of those elderly and you want these people to remember. I was nice to you. Remember, come help me out of the stitch. No, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> that's not going to work.
1: No, I just feel like I should, you know, I live in this little bubble and the only people I talk to are the people that I talk to on ad-free shows or, or when we do a podcast or something. So, you know, I I don't, I don't go, we don't go into town and hang out. We don't socialize much. So I think it's just nice. Otherwise I'm going to turn into one of those hermits.
0: So is that like the best and the worst thing about living where you live? There's nobody around. That's the best thing. And the worst It is
1: absolutely the best thing. And there's no worst about it. Okay it's i wouldn't have it any other way it's funny because there's so many places man that i go and Lori and i am you know like we go down to florida now that's a little different because it's our kids and our grandson but you know you kind of go wow you know what i mean? i can just drive down to the public's in seven minutes and yeah all this stuff you know because there's a lot of things that aren't available here you got to kind of learn to do without um but after being there for four or five days, I start getting a little claustrophobic. And by the end of a week, I'm going batshit. So I need to live where I live.
0: Well, I'm excited that you do. I mean, it was so cool to see it on the uh, the NWO documentary they did on a and I mean, you, it looks like you stepped right off of a postcard. I mean, it's unbelievable. The most picturesque surroundings. And I'm sure it was the type of place that Rick Steiner would enjoy. He's our subject today. And uh, we're going to spend a a little bit of time celebrating him. And we're doing it because our man's going to be celebrating a birthday this week, March 9th. He was born in 1961 in Bay City, Michigan. So this is going to be his 62nd birthday. Uh, He quickly uh, gravitates towards freestyle wrestling in middle and high school and eventually earned some notoriety for his talents at the University of Michigan, which I think we all know about. Of course, his real name is Robert Recksteiner. He's going to finish in the runner-up spot of the 1983 Big Ten Championships, qualifies for the NCAA Tournament, and sets the fastest pin record in Wolverine history on November 19, 1983, pinning his opponent in just 14 seconds. And that record would hang around for 21 years before it was broken in 2004. And to date, he holds the record for the second most falls in a single season. 16 were recorded during the 83-84 season. And listen, I know that a lot of us fans listening to this show, we just always kind of thought, well, Scott Steiner's the bigger, more badass of the duo. But if you talk to people inside the wrestling business, they say, well, Rick Steiner might be more of a badass. And boy, he has the collegiate accolades to show it. Does he know it? He does. And it's so interesting, and I'm sure we'll
1: do a lot of this, or at least some of it as we proceed in this podcast but the difference in personalities between scott and rick and the reason you know everybody you know is rightfully so by the way scott steiner is a legitimate badass was in the business and certainly had the amateur wrestling background to 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 help support that but people always, you know, when you talk about who's one of the baddest asses in a, you know, WCW, WCW locker room, you know, Scott Steiner is going to be at the top of that list pretty consistently. People sleep on Rick because Rick was so quiet. He was he was so amiable. He was just fun, you know. He, very rarely, I mean, even when Rick was upset, you couldn't really tell he was upset because he just he handled things differently. He was always just laughing and joking around and you always got that sense that he was just happy to be in the locker room. Right. And easy to deal with. And then Scott was a complete contrast. Right. Scott was volatile. It's got to go off the handle. You know, you, you tip Scott over in one direction, a little too far and it's like, boom. And he was in Tim Scott was intimidating, but Rick was the real badass. and every once in a while, if if both Scott and Rick were involved in a situation and Scott would start tipping over a little too far, Rick handled it. Didn't have to do much or say much. He was just he was the only guy that could really settle Scott down in in a situation where Scott was getting a little volatile. Two different personalities. By the way, before we go too far, shout out to Coach Rosie. Good luck tomorrow with the team. Coach, big game for you tomorrow afternoon. Denovius Smack, thank you for all you do here over at uh, 83 Weeks and for your help, and uh, I hope Kaya had a great birthday. I sang Kaya happy birthday on, on social media for her birthday. Keith Morrison is here. Travis Midway is here. Josh Henny. Thank
0: you all for being
1: here. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. In case you're uh, lost in the sauce here, we have a live studio audience whenever we do our shows. We've been promoting since the very beginning of adfreeshows.com that you get our shows early and ad-free, well it doesn't get any earlier than being part of a live taping, being able to interact with us. It all happens over at adfreeshows.com and right now you can do the first week on us, do a free trial and enjoy more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts for just $9 a month at adfreeshows.com. So let's talk about it. Rick Steiner makes his professional debut under the name Rick Steiner I don't think a lot of our listeners maybe have put that together over the years, but their shoot last name, if you will, their real legal birth name is Rex Diner. So why not just split it up and call it Rick Steiner that happens in 83. He's trained by your old pal, Brad Reagans and Eddie Sharkey. And over the next five years, he's going to wrestle everywhere. Uh, The Montreal based international wrestling, the AWA, the UWF, even new Japan. And then he settles in with Jim Crockett promotions in 1988 and my research indicates that, uh, he was actually at the AWA about a year before you came in. Does that sound right? Timeline was, yeah, I've read that, you know, previously, but I had, I had no,
1: uh, I didn't see Rick at all. He he must've been in and out pretty, pretty quickly.
0: We know he had, uh, some fun times, uh, over with Bill Watts as well. And, and a lot of us saw some of those tapes from that era, but 1988, in Jim Crockett promotions is probably when he gets his biggest quote unquote national push. Of course he's on TBS. He's going to be, uh, become a bad guy, a heel member of the varsity club, alongside Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan. And he's going to go on to turn babyface face and feud with Rotunda over the NWA television title. And during this time is when Rick has given the nickname, the dog face gremlin for his scrappy wrestling style. And well, he used to use a bulldog off the top rope. Uh, what do you think of the the dog face gremlin nickname?
1: I kind of like it. I mean, it's you know, all due respect to, to Rick, but it fits him. You know, he 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 it, he wore that gimmick like a glove, man. I mean, roof, roof, roof. he liked that with dog chain and all that. He was a dog. He, he did. He, he's kind of like a pit bull. He was a human pit bull. He fit him perfectly.
0: Scott Steiner joins him in Jim Crockett promotions in 1989, and it's not long before they're made into a tag team and they become one of the most popular tag teams in the country and in the world. Uh, what's your memory, your first memory of Rick or the Steiner brothers in general, when you first joined WCW in 1991, I think it was Halloween havoc in Chattanooga. Been oh, with the, the company of ours. I'm sorry. This was the chamber yeah. of ours. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. That bizarre pay per view. It's crazy. But I'm in Chattanooga. I'm excited. I'm still brand new to the company. Like, I barely could remember anybody's names. Because I was flying in and out. You know, I was only there for a day or two. Do TV, poof, go home. So it wasn't like I bonded with anybody. Still new. So I go to Chattanooga, big pay-per-view that particular, I don't remember the name of the venue, but it was part of the campus up there, part of the
0: university. University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, UTC.
1: Yep. That's that was the venue. And the dressing room was the wrestling workout room. It's like a big room, huge ceilings, wrestling mats, floor to floor, everywhere. And we're in there, I'm in there dressing, and I hear a commotion. Now, I'm way off in the corner because I'm me, i not a social animal. So I'm way back in the corner by myself, and I hear this hooting and hollering, and I look up, and the Steiner brothers have a referee. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the referee, but he'd been around for a minute. And he must have been screwing around with the Steiners and – thinking he was one of the boys or whatever, but he stepped over the line, I guess. Uh-oh. And as I'm sitting in a corner taking things out of my bag, getting ready to throw on my ridiculous tuxedo or whatever I was wearing on that show, I look over into this hooting and holler, and I see them, Scott, basically got his knee in somebody's back, and he's duct taping this poor referee's feet together. Oh, no. And then they duct tape his mouth so he can't Uh-oh. scream, and his hands are duct tape. And one of the Steiner's, and I don't remember which one, takes the guy's pants off and sticks a pencil up his ass. Oh, my. and I'm thinking, huh. no, no messing around with me. I'm not. I'm not gonna get in on a rib. I'm not gonna pretend I'm friends with anybody. I'm not stepping over any line that's gonna result in me getting duct taped up like a mummy and having a pencil shoved up my ass by these two monsters. So that that was my first honestly, that was my first really it was the first time I noticed the Steiner brothers. I'd only been there for a short period. I mean I noticed them on T V and things like but I didn't there's no interaction, right? thinking oh my god what did i get myself into
0: (laughs) now at this point eric you know we've touched on this before but we should remind everybody you had had a lot of occupations you had tried a lot of things you'd been a model you'd been a bouncer you'd been a meat salesman you had been an entrepreneur sold throwing stars you sold advertising i mean you would you would sort of run the gamut in your professional career just trying to find what was next for you right worked at a hospital
1: I'm just yeah, kidding. I used to joke. I used to joke when I was younger. I said, "I'm going to try to um, get a job that starts with every letter of the alphabet," which would have meant that I would have had to go, you know, work at a zoo or something for a week or two just to technically, you know, get the Z. But yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. Grateful for that too.
0: Now, as you were doing all these different occupations and trying your hand at all these different jobs, is this the first time you saw a pencil shoved up someone's ass at work? Yeah, definitely. It it never happened. In
1: fact, I've never seen anything close to that. I I was in shock. I really was in shock. It's like, oh, my God.
0: uh, I'm careful around here. uh, Listen, this is clearly a different era, a different time. I think these days, lawsuits will be all over the place. (laughs) In those days, was this just, uh, well, don't do whatever you did again. I mean, what happens? What's the fallout from something like that? My goodness. The visual. Um, I think that was a version of, you know, being, God, I don't even
1: want to say this because it's such a bad thing, but you know, you, you got to keep people in their lane and whoever the referee was, stepped out of his lane, thought he was somebody he wasn't and paid the price for it. But that's kind of like keeping control of the locker room in a way. Right. You're just kind of setting boundaries, so this is old
0: school policing the locker room, shoving tempers. Yeah,
1: I think. Okay. I think. I know it worked on me. I thought I'm never gonna I'm never gonna take liberties messing around telling a joke about a wrestler or stepping out of my lane. I'm just gonna hold that microphone and you know keep to my business.
0: <laughs> I uh listen, over on Tony Shivani's podcast, he had said that he recalled a similar event but with sharpies. And I think Scott Steiner heard maybe it was that. a sharpie. Maybe it was. Well, that was the next question. Was it a mechanical pencil or was it one you had to go to the front of the classroom and sharpen? I mean, did they go eraser first? I got a lot of questions about this, but.
1: Damn, Conrad. I was like all the way across the room and the last thing I wanted was detail. I just. It's one of those things where you kind of want to look away, but you know, you can't. It is. uh, uh, Oh, but no, I, I couldn't, you know, it could have been a Sharpie. It could have been a pencil. But if it was a pencil, whether or not it was a mechanical or not, are you freaking kidding me? You think I'm looking that
0: close? I'm just trying to be funny. I mean, here's the deal. I know that night people paid their hard-earned dollars, not many of them, but they did, to watch the Chamber of Horrors. And we saw a man get, quote-unquote, electrocuted. Well, given the option between being fake electrocuted or having a lead pencil shoved up my ass, give me the fake electrocution. That was the real Chamber of Horrors, and it was happening in the backstage area and this, all, this story just came out in the first few minutes of the program when I just said, What was your? Do you remember the first time you met the Steiners? What did you think of them? And you're like, Oh, yeah. Well, hey, me. They'll <laughs> go down and shove things up. As I, that's, wow, quite the first impression. It worked, brother. It worked on me. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Okie dokie. Um, did you ever fall victim to any Steiner ribs over the years? Let's just get that out of the way now. Absolutely not. Yeah. And maybe it was because of this incident, because I was exposed to the ramifications of
1: being an idiot and, and, and getting involved in the rib culture. Um, if if It wasn't something that I would have been inclined to do anyway. It's just not my personality. But had it been so, or if I thought, maybe I'll just kind of see how much fun this stuff really is, if there was any thought, consciously or otherwise, of me pulling a rib on anybody, um, that moment just completely evaporated that from from, from my consciousness. It was never going to happen. But, and because I never got involved in it, you know, like I never cheered it on. I never sold it when it was somebody else on the receiving end of it. I never made it look like I thought that was fun, even though deep down inside I was kind of get a kick out of it. I never showed it. And by detaching myself from any of those shenanigans, as shady as they may have been, by disengaging from it and not reacting one way or the other, and certainly not ribbing anybody, um, I, was, I was fortunate. I was never on the receiving end of anybody's rib.
0: Well, let us never forget in wrestling, uh, everybody wants to know who's got the pencil. And we know who had it in 81 or 91. And as JR often reminds us, the most powerful tool in wrestling eraser uh rick is in the main event of uh, the first pay-per-view that you're a part of but it was actually before halloween Havoc, great american bash 1991 he's going to be taking on arn anderson and paulie dangerously in a steel cage match that missy hyatt was supposed to be a part of but isn't allowed to be this is of course the infamous pay-per-view right after rick flair was fired and lex luger and barry windham are going to face off in the main event for the now vacant wcw world title which isn't actually the WCW title belt. It's something Dusty had in his garage. It's uh quite a start for you in WCW here, is it not? One of the worst pay-per-views of all time. And here's Eric. You know what's
1: really weird, Conrad? And and looking back now, it's like, wow, what a what a mess everything was. But to 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 appreciate my perspective, then where I came from this was like big time. I didn't know. I didn't look at any of the warts or the pimples or the hangnails or the bruises. I didn't look at any of that. I'm just look I'm I'm from the moment I got dressed to the moment we went out and the lights went on, I was really impressed. I was impressed with it all and I didn't even I was so impressed with it and so new to it that I didn't see the flaws. I saw things that I went, "Wow, I can't believe I'm watching that." Like, right. you know, the the electric chair match, whatever that was called. Um, I mean, that was like pretty over the top for me. But I thought, well, pff, if that's the big. If this, if this is what it takes to beat a big time, then damn, I'm glad I'm a part of it. It wasn't until long afterwards that I looked back at it and go, ooh, "Ooh, that was a stinker." Again, it was bet. the timing. It was the situation
0: just seeing the production and and how big it is and, and how they make it all happen for the first time. I'm sure that was enough to have you in awe. And let's not forget that's the day they had a scaffold match where P and news just laid down and Steve Austin called it the worst match of his career.
1: That, I, I got to tell you, Conrad, not to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but that, that scaffold match, that was bizarre to me. I mean, I was really concerned for the people involved. You know, I mean, I love good TV, and I love when something happens that you don't expect to happen on live TV. But man, that was just a little too far for me. And I remember just being in awe. I know we're here to talk about, you know, Rick, but I was just—I was in awe, and not in a good way. I was like, "Oh my God, someone's going to die, and it's going to be on TV." It was crazy, and you couldn't do much up there, so it wasn't that much fun to watch.
0: In this era, Rick's on a bit of a singles run because Scott was injured. Uh, and Rick even uh, gets a win over Lex Luger here in Huntsville at the Von Braun center when Luger was champion and Rick would lose to Lex at the clash of the champions from Savannah. It's uh, his biggest WCW title match at the time. You know, we know that Rick is going to go on to be one of the most decorated tag team wrestlers of all time, but it's his brother Scott who enjoys singles runs as the world champ. Do you think there's an alternate universe where Rick could have been the top guy? He could have been the world champ.
1: Could have sure.
0: I'm not really sure that
1: that was something that Rick was really all that interested in. I never, and I got to be pretty good friends with Rick. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. You know, Rick and I did some amazing stuff together way outside the ring, way outside the United States. Um, and as long as I've known Rick and as close as we got, um, I never asked Rick if he ever had aspirations to be the guy. My impression was not. My impression was that he, he, he was happy to be able to make enough money to provide for his family to, to, to the level he did, which he was very successful financially, very, very successful for a long period of time. Not just, he didn't have a short career. He had a, he had a very long career. And he made great money during that period of time. And I think he, it's just, it's just a gut, man, just an instinct, but I think he was just happy where he was at. I, I don't think he had that drive. Or need. You have to drive. You don't get to where Rick Rick Steiner got as an amateur, especially in amateur wrestling. That is in collegiate. So it's a grueling sport. I think it's one of the toughest sports in the world. And to reach the level that Rick did, certainly drive was not something that he was lacking. But I don't think it necessarily was you know, being the guy in WCW, I don't know. I'm sure he would have been happy and he would have performed well, but I don't think he was driven to it.
0: Well, we know that, uh, eventually Scott returns and the Steiners go back to kicking ass in the tag team division. They were my favorite tag team as a kid. Just absolutely loved them. I loved, uh, all their tag team moves. Certainly. I loved that they would often wear, you know, their belts backwards or upside down and, mismatched boots. And a lot of that was Rick Steiner. I liked the headgear. I liked running around and barking. I liked the top rope bulldog. I love the Frankensteiner and man, did Scott Steiner have one of the most epic mullets of all time. What do you think separated the Steiners from everyone else in the tag team world in the early nineties? I think it was their amateur wrestling background. And, and
1: look, a lot of guys had wrestled in high school and college. Maybe not a lot, but it wasn't unusual. But again, it's like you know, you could be a really, really good amateur wrestler, even at the collegiate level. But to to reach the level that both Rick and Scott did, or Kurt Angle, obviously, or Brock Lesnar, when you get into that that level, you are you are a very special human being, and you have very unique abilities, and and I think you have a level of confidence that kind of is so unique in a world where you need a lot of confidence because of the nature of what it is, what wrestling professional wrestling is. And I think it was their confidence in themselves and their abilities that really made them so much different than everybody else.
0: About a year later, it's December of 92. The Steiners are on their way out of the WWF and our good friend, Jim Ross talked about the Steiners departure over on grilling Jr. And, After Rick got injured, the idea was floated to have Scott turn heel for a feud between the brothers upon Rick's return. And JR said, I remember the cowboy having issues communicating with Scott Steiner. He perceived Scott as being very volatile and dangerous. Bill told Rick that I'm not going to sign your brother back. And that made their decision, their decision, easy for me to say, to leave WCW for WWE that much easier. Rick was the foreman of the ranch, but his little brother, not renewing or getting cut from the team. However you want to look at it did not set well with big brother. Have you heard that before, that Bill Watts wasn't going to re-sign Scott Steiner and that's the reason they left. No, I didn't hear that, but, but I understand why Bill Watts thought Scott Steiner was volatile and
1: dangerous because Bill was a bully and Scott was somebody you didn't bully. Scott did not give a damn. He could care less, obviously. We've seen that kind of manifest in other situations in WCW, but for, for, yeah, I I bet you Bill thought he was very volatile and dangerous because he was, as far as Bill Watts is concerned. I think Scott wanted to rip him apart and easily could have.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. sounds like my man, Scott, back then could have used some mind bloom. You know, there's no quick fix for anxiety and depression. It's not finding a new therapist. It's not starting an exercise routine not more or regular meditation or a better diet. Sometimes you need to unlock your brain, a new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy from Mindbloom. There's a new tool to improve your mental health, at-home ketamine therapy. Mindbloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy, having safely helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. And unlike traditional talk therapy, Ketamine works quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effects and traditional antidepressants. In a study of over 1,200 MindBloom clients, 89% reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after only two sessions. And Eric, I know you've done a lot of research on this and you've checked it out. You've tried it. What was your experience like with MindBloom? What say you?
1: My experience was excellent. And, I, and I'm always careful about this
0: one because
1: I. I don't want anybody to do anything because I did it and it worked for me because we're all different. We all have different situations. We all have different baggage, things that we're dealing with. There's no one size fits all, which is exactly why I'm excited to support MindBloom because I think people need to search alternatives before they jump on any one potential pharmaceutical solution. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the pharmaceutical industry. Between the pharmaceutical industry and the food industry, they spend more than $11 million or 11 times more than the National Institute of Health coming out with all this ridiculous research that encourages people to use more pharmaceuticals or to eat worse food or eat food that's even less healthy for you. And a side note, this has nothing to do with Mind Bloom, but to give you an example of why I don't trust the pharmaceutical industry or the food industry is that there is a new food pyramid out. It's called the Tufts, T-U-F-T-S um, Food Compass, where Fruit Loops and Cocoa Puffs are a higher nutritional option than a steak. And the government is is it's being subdued much like the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, well, by the way, there's a new drug out called Ozempic, the which they're trying to push on people. Um, that is a, a a a drug that has horrible side effects potentially, and you have to be on it for life. And because of my the lack of trust I have in the pharmaceutical industry and the food industry. I always encourage people, if you're having issues, don't run to the doctor and, and just jump on whatever prescription they're willing to give you. There are alternatives. And do your research when it comes to dealing with issues like depression and anxiety. Don't just go run to the doctor and get a fistful of whatever whatever they're willing to pres- prescribe to you because there are better solutions. And I think Mindbloom is an opportunity for people who are considering perhaps finding a a solution to help with some of these issues, please do yourself a favor. Do your own research. Don't listen to me. Here's what I want you to listen to me when it comes to. I want you to listen to me when it comes to me encouraging you to do your research and certainly look at MindBloom because it is a solid alternative. It's a good alternative.
0: Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at MindBloom.com 83weeks and use the promo code 83weeks. Take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with MindBloom. That's MindBloom.com slash 83weeks and use the promo code 83weeks. So, Eric, uh, we've talked about your interest in Japan at length here on the show, but the majority of the conversation was about the 1995 talent exchange and after. What was your role in organizing this joint show with New Japan in May of 94?
1: I think that was my first uh, attempt to try to resurrect the relationship between New Japan and and WCW. Thankfully, I had Brad Riggins, who trained Rick Steiner, but Brad was a longtime friend and known him since, since high school. Brad was also the U.S. liaison between New Japan and and the uh, wrestlers from the United States that the Japanese would bring over, New Japan would bring over, and because Brad Ringens had such a great relationship, and and the office in New Japan trusted as they well they should have, he earned their trust. Um, because they trusted Brad so much, Brad was largely responsible for me being able to salvage that relationship, especially in the very beginning when you know the people in New Japan they, they didn't know me. Had no idea i was just another one of the knuckleheads coming through the turnstile to run this dysfunctional thing called wcw and no history or track record i had, i had interviewed masa saito when i was in the awa um that was it and i doubt he remembered that but brad was very very instrumental in it. sonny certainly helped a lot when it came to translation and things um and that was that was my first opportunity to kind of bridge that gap
0: uh, well, we know that, uh, the Steiners are going to be working with new Japan, uh, and they're going to do a co-produced new Japan and WCW show. Uh, the one in April of 95 was collision in Korea, uh, where they're going to get a win over, uh, Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki, an unbelievable pairing. Anytime you see those four, it's going to be crazy. And that actually goes on right before the main event of Antonio Inoki and Ric Flair, And you said in our collision in Korea episode that you largely defaulted to new Japan for the booking, but I imagine that, well, the Steiners were kind of, got to, we're kind of going to do whatever they wanted to do. Am I wrong in saying that? I don't think so. Things were a little different
1: in, in new Japan. And I think the relationship and the mutual respect between the Steiners individually and as a team. And New Japan was significant, and it was much different than it was in the United States with WCW, or WWE, for that matter. Uh, No, I doubt that there were any issues. Keep in mind, whenever, whenever I worked with New Japan, for the most part, I had control over the booking here in the United States. There may have been an exception or two during that period of time. Where if I was bringing, in, I'm going to give you just a an example. It's not a real example, but an example. If Muda, for example, was in a story or being built in order to be in a very, very important match in New Japan, two or three months after um, I was using him in in U.S. If there was a consideration as to how Muda may lose or, or not, um, I would I would talk to Brad about that. Brad would work with new Japan in, in terms of fine tuning, whatever we needed to do here in the States. So there were occasions like that, but they were very rare. And for the most part, when the Japanese came from new Japan, came to the U S WCW laid out the booking and there were no, there was no real issues with New Japan. There was none of it. We went into our relationship with a very clear and thorough understanding. And we communicated very well during the course of that relationship so that those issues never really became a problem ever became topics of discussion. Yes, but never a problem. Right. And, and part of it was, and, and that I think the Steiners felt that same way when they went to Japan, they trusted New Japan to do what New Japan had to do. And there was never that feeling like Bill Watts, you know, you're never going to be punished. You're never getting worked. you never, you know, no, there was never any messages being said. It was pretty straightforward. And I think when the Steiners went to New Japan, they, I doubt they had any issues with their creative. I could be wrong. I've never heard them mention it. And my impression has always been strong that, the, that they never did have any of those kind of creative who's going to beat
0: who issues or what the finish is going to be issues. Did you know they broke a guy's leg? No. Yeah. I mean, it's some bad ass Did he he deserve it? Well, I don't know that anybody deserves their leg broken or a pencil.
1: I disagree with that, but go ahead. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, let's uh, listen. We we got a a great look at that whole Korea show uh, with the the whole dark side of the ring and even um, a Sports Illustrated article where Rick Steiner was quoted about the whole Hawk and two cold Scorpio fight. He says, quote, we had to be on our best behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. We were always on guard. That's why I couldn't believe it. When those guys got in a fight, like what the heck? I kept waiting for some guys to come out of the ditch and shoot them on that bus (laughs) on our collision in Korea episode. You said that you weren't on the bus, but man, this, uh, this had to be a circumstance. that had everybody nervous. This, this fight and, Everybody's sort of on eggshells anyway already, right? You know,
1: everybody was everybody was definitely outside of their comfort zone. But I, you know, and again, maybe it's one of those things where I don't remember the good stuff and I kind of forget about the bad stuff. But I don't remember, you know, people, real. I mean, other than Scott Norton. Scott was, you know, Scott was a basket case. But everybody else was kind of pretty much going with the flow. And I'm glad I wasn't on that bus. I, I, I might have lost it just out of fear for what could happen in a situation like that. Because if people weren't on their toes, they should have been. And some of the guys weren't. Some of the guys just didn't really comprehend the unique and somewhat dangerous situation we were in. Some did. You know, Rick Flair certainly did. Um, I, I certainly did. I'm sure R- Rick Steiner did but some of the guys, their emotions, you know, came first and they just forgot where they were. They thought they were back in Athens, Georgia or
0: Louisville or,
1: you know, Mankato, Minnesota, you know, it's like, no, dude, things are different here. (laughs) You know, you're in a different world altogether. And I think some people appreciated it and some didn't.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Rick sort of being known as the the level-headed guy was he able to, to just do that with Scott or was he able to aid in other talent relationships as well?
1: I I never saw Rick center put his nose in anybody else's business one way or the other. He stayed Switzerland as far as I could tell. And again, I wasn't, no, I didn't dress in a locker room. I didn't travel with the guys. I wasn't exposed to him as much as I would have been, had I been a wrestling talent. Um, but my strong impression, having been around Rick Center as long as I was around him and knowing him, is this you know, he he didn't get involved in other people's stuff. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here, and I need to give you a quick timeout, a
0: brief timeout, because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling you pod listeners about, about all the cool things
1: happening. <laughs> Over on pad, shows an all-new edition of the insiders is here as conrad sits down with former wwe exec john Filippelli, who discusses his transition from the world of sports to pro wrestling and his ultimate transition out of the company every take was getting worse than the one before it. i said you gotta stop you gotta stop this you gotta calm down stop calm down stop yelling at people take it easy tell them exactly what you want and we'll get through it which is I have done a
0: hundred times since, and I would do a hundred times more. Yes. But that was Vince McMahon, and you don't do that to Vince McMahon, particularly in front or around other him. people. Yeah. That was that was
1: my mistake? I mean, if you want to call it a mistake, although I would do it, I've done it since, and I would do it again. Referee Nick Patrick is answering your questions every other Monday on our new Mailbag series. We're Nash was there. No, they did great work. for were technical, they had psychology, but they were cool. And a lot of people liked it, you know. Yeah, we're still in merch, you know. And and, and Kobe had heat. He turned he had actually more heat than them you know. They had heat, but a lot of people liked them because they were cool. I was like, right, the only real character that they was calling into the other time that everybody hated. You know like, yeah. everybody wanted to see me get.
0: <laughs> so it worked,
1: you know, they you know, so had <laughs>
0: you know, yeah,
1: and uh, so it worked, you know. Tony and Conrad have taken their shenanigans in front of a live studio audience as they sat down live with Ad Free Shows members.
0: Hey, um, did you ever uh, pet Jake's snake? No, never did. I had a chance to in Chicago, but it was it was way too big, not of my league. Mm. What's the right size snake for you? Uh, one that just coils up and leaves me alone. Yeah. Have you ever orange to Cassidy before? Orange to Cassidy? Yeah.
1: Or would that be with the a- with one of those juicers, the juice machine, or just squeeze it until all the juice comes out of it. Hey,
0: yeah. It runs down know. your leg or his you leg. Well, you, one got, or the you other. gotta be gotta be specific here with your dumbass questions, here, Cassio. That is a simple let's um let's touch on the the whole wrestling in japan angle rick would say to sports illustrated wrestling in japan is not high energy and people hollering and screaming in japan you did a few moves and they clapped over in korea shoot they didn't do anything they didn't clap they didn't do nothing i've never been through anything like that so it was a totally new experience all around. They also talked about how wrestling sort of leads to a life. That's maybe a, a blur because of the pace. The things about those trips is you experience all that stuff and then you go home and you don't see the guys for two or three weeks. It all sinks in and you get back and go, Oh yeah, remember that trip? And blah, blah, blah. You're back on the road, back in the United States. Everybody's having fun. Everything's back to normal. Was that kind of the way you remember it? It was surreal, but then you decompress, and then it's like business as usual. It's just in the rearview mirror. Let's go.
1: I never looked at the experience in Korea that way. I've always, in fact, you know, last night when I knew we were going to be talking about this, and I, and I thought, I, know, I anticipated the subject coming up. So I, th- I thought about that trip, and it's still to this day, I think, if someone had asked me, if someone were to ask me, what is the most unique and exciting experience you've ever had, it would be that trip to North Korea. I mean, was it as much fun as some of the other stuff I've done? Absolutely not. You know, was it as much fun as pulling my mask off, you know, and revealing myself, you know, uh, with Stephanie and and all that. I mean, that was really fun working with Stone Cold Steve Austin in a pay-per-view. That was, you know, an experience I'll never forget. And I'm one, I'm very, very grateful for. But in terms of the most interesting and exciting thing I've ever done, I think it would have to be that trip. And I think about it often, how unique that was. I mean, just think about it. Think about just this kid from Detroit that loved growing up watching wrestling, that never aspired to be in the wrestling business, that just through a series of coincidences and some you know personal interest, I end up being offered jobs in professional wrestling. Right, and then become the president of the company, and all that is exciting. But to to think that this kid from Detroit, who in 1964 sat in a living room, and listened to the Cassius Clay Sonny Liston fight on the radio, and you fast forward through all of that, and here I am sitting on a plane next to Muhammad Ali, who was a childhood hero and still is a hero to me. Um sitting next to Muhammad Ali, of all people, going to Pyongyang, North Korea, a place where very few Americans since the Korean War have ever stepped foot in. I just, that's fascinating to me, how life can come together and how one thing always leads to another thing that you sometimes don't expect sometimes you do and you're working towards it but sometimes shit just pops up in your life and you have these amazing experiences that no one else you talk to anywhere is really ever going to be able to relate to in this case a small group of guys from wcw can to some degree but man what an experience i never took it for granted i never thought oh it's just another one eh, it was a fun road trip No, not for me brother you know, running through the streets of Pyongyang, Ric Flair and I, you know, because after that incident, knowing that like we just couldn't go out and run Ric Flair and I running the steps in the hotel we were in. That was magic, man. That was just magic.
0: Crazy stuff, man. And, uh, it's important just to add context to this. When you're doing all that over there in Korea with the Steiners, they don't even work for you. They're actually not with WCW. They're just working with new Japan and, they finally come back full time to WCW, uh, in March of 1996 on an episode of Nitro losing to the Road Warriors. And at the time, the newsletters would say the nasty boys non-appearance as advertised on the live Nitro event opened the door for the return of Rick and Scott Steiner, who faced the Road Warriors and even put them over. The Steiners deal to come in and work a program against the Road Warriors was put together in midweek and no doubt for a high dollar figure as well. It was explained on television that the Nasty Boys were taken to the hospital and it was left up in the air, whether it was the Road Warriors or Steiners who had done it to them, which appeared to be a situation of burying them if need be or creating a program with one or two of the teams in the future if they're brought back. Bischoff didn't bury them on air. So let's talk about this. You know, the Steiner brothers, in my opinion, had their heyday in the early 90s. That's when I was maybe my peak fandom for them. But they come back here when you're maybe six months into Nitro. You're always looking for something big to compete with Monday Night Raw. And even if it's been a while since they were on WWF TV, no one can deny the Steiners are big stars, even before they went to the WWF. But I'm curious about the whole Nasty Boys hokey pokey deal here where they're supposed to be here and they're not. Do you remember what the impasse here was was about with the the Nasty Boys? And did you deal with one talent more than the other, like, Did you primarily talk to knobs or sags or what was that like? I would say
1: almost always knobs
0: knobs was kind of like the de facto
1: sports spokesperson for the team. Um, And which is really weird because Jerry was easier for me to talk to Jerry was kind of level-headed, you know, Jerry, Jerry's Jerry sags of the nasty boys is a unique cat in that, you know, in the ring around the wrestling Environment, you know, Knobs is every every ounce of a nasty boy, right? But if you get him away from that environment and you talk to him, he could be your financial advisor. Wow. He, he could be, you know, somebody, he, he could be a general contractor that you're, you know, discussing building a home. I mean, he's a very level-headed, very intelligent not that emotional type of guy and brian was the opposite brian was always the emotional one and he was always kind of half wound up and for whatever reason by default it was always brian as for what happened and why they they, they weren't a part of this event you know i'm not sure i i certainly wouldn't take you know melzer's word for it um it but i don't know what really happened it could have been a travel issue or there could have been another more significant issue it's just it wouldn't have been that significant that it stands out in my mind
0: do you remember how you got together with the signers? Were were you calling them? Were they calling you? How does this still come together? You know, I had developed,
1: I, and I don't even know how or why, but I guess, you know, common interests, you know, um, maybe because Brad and I were tight. And because of that relationship, I just kind of developed a different relationship with Rick even before they left. So when Rick called me, um, it was like not a conversation. It was like, where do you want to meet? Let's, let's talk this through and get it done. There was no debate. There was no. I didn't even have a conversation with myself. I think I, I do remember he called me, Rick called me on a, it was a Saturday morning, and I remember that because I was hanging out with Garrett and probably watching Dukes of Hazzard or some ridiculous stuff on TV. Uh, Garrett was really into the Dukes of Hazzard back then. Um, and I remember Rick called me, and it was like immediate. Like, sure, dude, we're, I think we met. At a Waffle House <laughs> or something like that. Maybe uh, one mm-hmm. of those breakfast places in the south. What was the other cracker barrel?
0: Oh yeah, I, waffle it house. Might have been a
1: cracker barrel, but I think it was a waffle house. And we we talked for about twenty minutes and Monday morning got to work, put the to deal together. It was easy.
0: Well, I'm glad they're back because I mean they're in my opinion, one and one A or one B greatest WCW tag teams. I mean, I, I guess technically the Harlem Heat have them on uh tag title runs, but man, you want to talk about innovators. I just I just love the Steiner brothers and I was pumped they were back. Can we uh, can
1: we can we talk about them in just a minute? Yeah. Please. I don't want to gloss over the Frankensteiner. Yes that, that was such a visually dynamic incredible move, especially for a guy as big as Scott Steiner. Mm-hmm. This is like a, you, you, you wouldn't be surprised to see a 140 pounder pulling off something like that. No. Or even, a, even somebody, you know, anybody under 200 pounds, that's really super athletic. That wouldn't surprise you. You'd be impressed by it. You'd be excited as a result of seeing it. It would help engage you in the match, but you wouldn't be, oh, my God, did you see that? But when you see a guy as big as Scott Steiner be able to execute the Frankensteiner, for the most part, flawlessly, I think almost every time, nobody else was getting anywhere near that kind of presentation. That was really, I I think people shouldn't sleep on that. And people that love the the super high athleticism that we see today so often um, need to go back and look at a 200, a, a legit, solid, dense, 250-pounder pulling off things like that. That was amazing to me.
0: I mean, I think he deserves credit for inventing the move. And I know that, you know, we've seen it become super popular and probably executed better down in Mexico, and they call it a Hurricane Rana, or as Ric Flair calls it, a have a Corona. Uh, <laughs> I, love that. I have a Corona is really what he calls it. It's great. Anyway, I, that's the first time I saw it was, uh, was Scott Steiner. And for that matter, if you go back, you can see him, I think down in Memphis, certainly a territory show, but it may have been in the Memphis territory. He did a move that he called the one and a half, uh, or maybe the announcer called the one and a half super fly. It's the first ever shooting star press. And this isn't a little guy doing this. This isn't Ray Mysterio or psychosis or a light heavyweight. I mean, this is to your point, a jacked heavyweight bodybuilder pulling all this stuff off and i'm just fascinated by the idea that even in 96 we bring them back here and they're sort of heritage wcw nwa performers but so are the road warriors and that's who they're going to be wrestling but we bring them back and in their quote-unquote return to wcw not really a debut because they've been here before but they lose to the road warriors was that just based on Hey, we think there's more merch opportunities with the Road Warriors. They're hard to do business with. We should placate them. Let's see the attitude the Steiners have. Are they willing to do business? It can lead to a larger story. I think a lot of people would assume, hey, the Steiners are back, and they're going to destroy somebody, and then we'll build towards this. Instead, Nasties are out and has a surprise. It's Steiners versus Road Warriors. It feels like in that era, that could have been a main event that you built towards.
1: Yeah, and as you're speaking, I'm trying to think why. And my only thought is there may have been a New Japan reason for that because both the Steiners – and the Steiners were very important. It's also something that people – that I haven't talked about before. Steiners were very – there were a couple teams that were very important in New Japan or a couple talents. Um, At the top of that list was the Steiner brothers. Right. Believe it or not, right below them was the
0: Nasty Boys. Don't
1: ask me why. I couldn't explain that to you.
0: Because The Road Warriors were over there too, right?
1: And the Road Warriors were definitely over there. Um, So I would guess, I don't think I booked that. I don't think I was involved in that decision other than being made aware of it or approving it to whatever extent I needed to. But I think that was probably something that, New Japan had something to do with because of where they were going with the road warriors and where they were going with the Steiner brothers. And that was another thing that made it easy for me to bring the Steiner's back. Even at more money is because my deal with Japan allowed me to offset a lot of that as people don't realize, you know, the value of that relationship. And it was more than just a financial opportunity. But when you, you know, while I'm managing my WCW talent budget, which is other than, you know, the talent budget had to be the single biggest item on that thing. Um, one of the ways that I could that allowed me to spend more money on talent and increase my talent budget was the fact that I could offset it substantially, especially the, some of the higher end guys, um, by booking them in Japan. And because both Road Warriors and Steiner Brothers, and as I said, Nasty Boys were examples of some teams that New Japan had a lot of value in. um, I probably would have deferred to New Japan on that finish, and I'm sure the Steiner brothers didn't have an issue. I would guess they didn't have an issue with it.
0: I want to mention that even though uh, we sort of think about the Road Warriors and the Steiner brothers as being more synonymous with New Japan, uh, Cage Match over at cagematch.net shows the Steiner brothers had 70-some-odd matches over in New Japan, but the freaking nasties had 51. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. I don't I,
1: uh, Masa, Masa Saito, who is kind of the head booker for U.S. talent, Gaijin, as they're referred to, which is kind of a derogatory term, by the way, but since not too many people know that, I'll throw it out there. But, yeah, the, the, the Gaijin that um, were booked – from the United States were all booked through Brad Reagan's and Masa Saito. And they were so close and they were so tight and Masa loved the nasty boys. He just loved them. He loved being around them. Loved, you know, he got frustrated with them like I did. And like a lot of people that worked with him did, because oftentimes, especially Brian would take things too far in the name of a good rib or fun, kind of not know where to draw the line. And sometimes that was a problem. But for the most part, they were lighthearted, fun guys to be around, and Masa dug it. it was probably one of the reasons they got booked so often in Japan.
0: Uh, the report is careful to to point out here that you don't bury the nasties. So, And we know, of course, um, they're going to stick around and maybe have some tumultuous months. But the Steiner brothers coming back here, just to remind everybody, this is March of 96, so just two months before – the wrestling world changes and along the way the steiners are going to feud with the road warriors the nasty boys and public enemy and then unsuccessfully challenge sting and lex luger for the tag team titles on a june 3rd episode of nitro and a few weeks later on the 24th harlem heat beat sting and luger and the steiners in a triangle match for the tag straps and that sets up a feud through the summer of 96 where harlem heat and the steiners trade the title to the titles back and forth July, of course, that year is when Hulk Hogan is revealed as the third man. And boy, everything changes. But Rick Steiner, I mean, at this time, he and, and his brother are definitely one of the, uh, the foremost representatives of the WCW side of this angle. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. They were such a, you know, they were like the hood ornament on WCW. They had been around for so long and such a, no, it was just an important part of our, our roster for a long time from the beginning, really.
0: There's a fun photo a fun photo from your book, Controversy Creates Cash and it's a photo, I believe, from nineteen ninety six. It's a group of folks including Sting and Miss Elizabeth and Dallas Page and Scott Steiner and Medusa and Rick Steiner and Ray Trailer. And they're all standing outside of a convenience store with their backs to the camera, pretending to stick their thumbs up their ass. Hold on,
1: hold on. Keep it there you go, you've got it right there. I've got that picture in the next room. I was gonna hold it up to the camera, but yeah.
0: Um, and you called it the, this was known as the thumbs up our ass tour. What do you remember about this photo?
1: Okay. So this is our first trip to Sturgis, right? And we're riding, we had our motorcycle ship from Atlanta up to Minneapolis and to the mall of America. And from the mall of America, we're in Minneapolis. We're going to drive whatever it was, 800 miles to Sturgis. And we had a big caravan, you know, I don't know how many bikes we had, probably 15 or 20 guys riding bikes because it wasn't just the wrestlers that rode. There were some, some other people that rode along with us. <clears throat> we had a motor home in case somebody broke down and we had to stop on the side of the road for a while. We had a trailer, a truck and a trailer in case somebody broke down and we had to haul it. I mean, it was a, it was a caravan and I, think it was oh i'm so bad with names i am so bad with names i'll think of it um he was the stud ellis edwards ellis was kind of our road captain right and of course none of us you know none of us on that trip had ever taken that long of a ride especially as a part of a group it's a different kind of a feeling you know it's it's yeah you got to stay organized but it's so much fun it is the it is it's hard to explain unless you've done it, especially if you're with a bunch of friends. And at some point, we'd stop every 150 miles because a motorcycle could only, even the biggest tank on a motorcycle, you're lucky to get 100, 125 miles, right, out of a tank of gas. So we'd stop every 100 miles or so to, so everybody could fill up. And you get up because it was hot. And you're out there on a the highway. It's like 85, 90 degrees out, and the heat's coming off the pavement, and that engine between your legs is just throwing heat. So, you know, you need to pull off and get something to drink every now and then, and whatever. So we'd pull off, we'd hang out. Sometimes we'd, you know, stop at a roadside saloon and have one or two, and then continue. And at some point, about halfway through the trip, as we were getting closer to Sturgis, may have been no, it's further than that. We were almost done with the trip. Somebody in that group of, of brain surgeons decided to go, ah, oh, we'll find our own way there. And I think Ellis gave somebody directions and Ellis may have given them the wrong directions or some I don't know what the cause of it was. But that group that you just saw decided to peel off from the from the group and go explore on their own and they got lost. <laughs> they couldn't find their way back. They had no idea where they were and decided to take a picture of themselves with their thumbs up their asses because they decided to go off on their own fun story, but I do, I have the picture. It's one of the next room.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. If you feel like uh, you have your thumb up your ass when it comes to saving money, let me recommend rocket money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? You know, 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. And I was one of those folks. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. True story, my wife and I both signed up for Hulu at the start of the pandemic. We just discovered it like 18 months ago, thanks to Rocket Money. There's this great app that we started using to track all of our expenses, and because of it, we no longer waste money on subscriptions we don't use. Formerly known as True Bill, now it's called Rocket Money. And did you know how much subscriptions really cost? You see, most Americans think they're spending like 80 bucks a month, It's actually closer to $200 or more. That was the case for me. I'm saving cash and you should be too. This app is so easy. It shows you all of your subscriptions in one place. And then it cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you got to do is press cancel and bam! Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to RocketMoney.com/83weeks. Seriously, y'all, they could save you hundreds per year. It did me. That's RocketMoney.com/83weeks. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at RocketMoney.com/83weeks. So listen, Eric. There's a period between August of ninety-six and January of ninety-seven where Rick is going to wrestle in either singles matches or with rotating tag team partners in both WCW and New Japan. He's going to pick up singles victories against guys like Booker T, Lex Luger, Chris Benoit, Bunkhouse Buck, The Barbarian, and even Arn Anderson. But his roster of tag team partners includes an interesting cast. Terry Taylor, Keiji Muto, Luger, and even Marcus Bagwell. And of course, this is when Scott is suffering from an injury but I'm curious in this era, why wasn't there thought given to, Hey, maybe let's try him with a singles push. I mean, he's getting wins, but it doesn't feel like it's really going anywhere. Cause we're still sprinkling in tag matches. Did he like the idea of being a tag guy or, or was it just, maybe we just didn't have an idea for him. I think it was
1: both. I, I think in my case, I just never creatively. I never thought of Rick as a singles guy. And part of that was just because maybe, I don't know, maybe I, lack of imagination on my part, we'll put that at the top of the list. But once we check that one off, I think it was just because there was such, they were almost like an institution. Right. And, and I never got the impression that that was something Rick wanted to do. We never had a conversation that suggested that that was something Rick wanted to do. It's kind of what I said when I go back to the beginning of the show. It's Rick was, Rick was very content to perform at a high level in the environment that he had been performing in. And I don't think he ever said anything or I ever got an indication that he wanted to do anything else. And and for whatever reason, I didn't either feel the need or didn't have the imagination to think outside of the tag team box when it came to Rick.
0: We know that uh, Scott's going to come back and join WCW and the tag team here. Clash of the Champions 34. It's January 21st, 1997. The Steiners pick up a win over the amazing French Canadians and four days later beat the Outsiders to win the WCW tag straps at the very first sold out. And the next item on Nitro, of course, you strip the Steiners of the tag titles and return them to the Outsiders. Uh, and of course, this is a, a pretty legendary piece of business that we've just recently seen, even on a Um, but it feels like, man, we're just picking up where we left off. We're immediately back into a great story and near the top of the the card was a tag team. And that's when the now infamous car accident angle happens on nitro. We see Six's camcorder recording, I guess what we would call a road rage incident. He's in the backseat of a car that's being driven by Kevin Nash, Scott Hall's riding shotgun, and he's encouraging Kevin Nash from the passenger seat. To run the Steiner Brothers off a highway, <laughs> sends the Steiner's car flipping over in a horrible crash. And um, it's a fantastic shot. And we actually had our, our pal Neil Pruitt over on adfreeshows.com talking about it. It was a fantastic piece of business. Uh, Sean Waltman even uh, commented to the New York Post just last month. I just showed up to work that day and they said we were running the Steiner Brothers off the road. And the article went on to name Ellis Edwards as the stunt man who was driving the Steiner's car. How does this idea come to be? And what was the fallout? Because I imagine this was not well received by everyone. Um, It came to be largely because of Ellis, you know, Ellison, Ellis
1: came in on fire, you know, and Ellis, Ellis was just a dynamic little ball of fire. I mean, he was, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do drugs, but he was always like redlining. His energy level was so high and he was full of ideas. And this was a point in time when we're looking for, you know, creatively, I think our creative meeting sounded like something, something like, okay, give me something I never expect to see in wrestling. Give me something big. Give me a moment. Give me something controversial. I mean, that was the tone. That's what we were looking for. And when you have conversations with a guy like Ellis Edwards and all of his focus was on, you know, stunts and car stuff and motorcycle stuff. You know, he did a lot of it. He worked for two decades. I think at WWE doing a lot of the backstage craziness that you saw with cars and trucks and things blowing up. Um, but Ellis was so passionate about all that stuff. And I, I, I think it probably came up in a conversation with Ellis, like, Hey boss, I've got an idea. What if we do this? And then you get Kevin Sullivan and everybody involved and Neil Pruitt figured, okay, I love that idea. How do we actually do that? Right. And Ellis would have driven that conversation when it came to the actual stunt. Kevin Sullivan would have been the guy in charge of, okay, creatively, how do we do this? How does it tie into the show? How do we present it? That would have been Kevin Sullivan. That was a phenomenal piece of business. And in terms of the fallout, because it was such a phenomenal piece of business, meaning it was so well done, it didn't look like a wrestling stunt. No. I mean, listen, if you were a videographer, if you were in the television business, if you were an editor, you'd go, oh, huh, okay. Got it. But if you're like 99.999% of the people watching at home, it looks legit. You're going, what the hell? And because it was so real and so well done, I got a fair amount, very rarely at that time in 96, would I get a call from anybody about anything that I did on the show. <clears throat> just never happened.
0: However. However. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I, I
1: got a phone call on that one. It was, it was too much. It went over the line. It was And it went over the line because it was too believable. It's so funny. Wrestling is such a weird thing in our culture right? It's so many of the things that you see in a movie or in a television show that are really important, you know, whether it's a car chase or something blowing, whatever it is, you can get away with so much more in a scripted entertainment environment, television or movies, than you can in wrestling, even though wrestling, everybody knows, is scripted entertainment. It's really no different. For whatever reason, even to this day, there are things that you can get away with in scripted television in prime time that you can't get near on a wrestling show. And this was an example of that same kind of dynamic back in 1996.
0: What did the, what did the Steiners, what did Rick specifically think of this creative? We're going to do what now you're going to run us off the road. I mean, I know they know they're not actually flipping over in the car. I get that, but. Was this too far out for them or were they digging it? Was this fun?
1: I didn't, I didn't, I I never got that impression. Keep in mind, this is 1996. This is like stuff's off the chain. Yes. We're we're exploding. And there wasn't too many people in that environment at that particular time that are going to throw a flag on the things that we were doing because the things that we were doing were all working. So I I never, now I I wasn't there. I wasn't on the scene the day of the shoot. I wasn't there. I wasn't on location. So there may have been conversations that I'm not aware of, but in the conversations that I did have with everybody involved, never got any pushback.
0: Were you pleased when you saw the footage?
1: Oh, I was damn right. That was awesome. I was excited again when I saw it on A&E. It was was so well done.
0: Uh, the newsletters at the time would say there were so many complaints about the Steiner's car crash angle that it won't air on television again. And they were barely even acknowledging it on television this past weekend after making it, making a big deal of it the week before. Is this maybe the first instance of Turner saying, uh, uh, -uh," and wagging the finger a little bit. I mean, we know you're going to get more of that later in 98, but in early 97, is this, is this the first time? Probably. Yeah, probably
1: there may have been, I may have had conversations with Harvey Schiller about one or two other little things, but uh, this was the first one that came with any significant um, threat attached, not a threat, that's not the right, but it was a serious conversation. It wasn't a, Hey Eric, how about in the future? Maybe you don't do this or you don't do that. It was, we are never going to do a stunt like that again. And if one comes up, that you want to do,
0: we're going to have a conversation about it before you shoot it. Well, okay, boss. That's so, Eric, we were at, we were talking about. I guess we got to clean all this up. Uh, we're talking about Alice the Edwards. the car wreck and Ellis Edwards. Yeah. So, uh, how did you first meet Ellis? What are some of your favorite? What are some of the things he did? I think the last thing I said was that he helped him like rappel down, sting rappel down, and shit like that. All of the above. You know, Ellis.
1: Let's go back to how I first met Ellis. I think Ellis was a stunt coordinator on thunder and paradise. Okay. Hulk Hogan show. That's where I think Ellis entered the picture and he worked very closely with Hulk on that. I think I could be wrong about this, right? Uh, Cause it was a minute ago, but I'm pretty sure Ellis was along. You remember that infamous, uh, uh, jet ski accident where Hogan got, yes. a big, okay. Right before some not uh, Yeah. And Brutus, Damn near died. Brutus had a severe head injury as a result of a wreck, and I think it was Ellis Edwards who drug Brutus out of the water, and in some respects may have saved his life. Wow! I think in in the way the story was told to me, if I remember correctly, and again it was a while ago, but it was like Ellis saw what happened. He was on his jet ski, kind of blew over there, and pretty much snatched uh, Brutus out with one hand. And I think at that point, Hulk Hogan had all the confidence in the world in Ellis Edwards when it came to stunts in that type of situation. So I think it was through Hulk that I met Ellis and – it was shortly afterwards, you know, meeting Ellis and talking about all the kind of crazy backstage things we could do. Um, that I went, damn, we need this guy on this team. Cause there was nobody that could, nobody that could orchestrate anything like that. Nobody had that experience. And yes, Ellis was the guy who came up with the, the rigging and the design and the process by which Sting would repel down from the ceiling and do it safely. Um, That was all Ellis Edwards and just, and the car wreck, you know, with the Steiners and just about anything else you saw that involved two wheels or any kind of a mechanical stunt. um, That was Ellis Edwards. He did a great job and he went on to work with WWE for a long, I think I just saw him like two years ago. I was at a WWE event a year ago, this past December. And I went down to have breakfast the morning before the show and there's Ellis Edwards sitting in the restaurant. So I think he's Maybe now it's been a year and a half since he's left WWE, but he had a long, great career. And I'll tell you what, Conrad. Okay. Let's pretend we're off air. And nobody knows this. Okay. okay Start a little a secret. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're into collectible stuff. Sure. I know you know a lot of people who are into collectible stuff. I'm just guessing when I say this.
0: Alice has the coolest collection of all in a
1: warehouse, mm. maybe multiple warehouses because of all that crazy stuff that was built and wrecked. How many limousines that Vince McMahon was in that ended up getting wrecked by Stone Cold Steve Austin? What do you think all that stuff is?
0: Alice kept it.
1: Huh. Just a guess. Wow. Just a guess.
0: Well, uh, hypothetically might need his number. Um, this, uh, this angle winds up, saying the Steiners are off the pay-per-view because of the car wreck. So now the four corners match that was scheduled for the pay-per-view is now a triangle match. with faces of fear, public enemy and Harlem heat, man, what could have been like the Steiner, bro, that angle should have been much bigger. We know the Steiners are going to continue to feud with the NWO throughout 97. And then there's kind of a shocking deal that happens, even though maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, the NWO has Ted DiBiase defect and they're going to debut him as their new manager in August of 97. And, uh, yeah, he's here to help the Steiner brothers take down the outsiders. What do you think they thought about working with Ted DiBiase?
1: I think they liked Ted and respected Ted. I think on a personal level, um, everybody was cool. Probably happy to do it. I don't- Look, that was that was that was me trying to put a Band-Aid on a bad decision. You know, yeah. it was a bad I, I brought Ted DiBiase in. I had an idea for Ted. It didn't work out for a variety of reasons, and this was just like, okay, what do I do with him now? So it, it 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 there was not a lot of real thought behind it as to why it would really be beneficial for the Steiner Brothers. It was just a move. It was a lateral move that I could make to keep everybody kind of occupied and reasonably happy.
0: Well that move happens in August of ninety seven and you're gonna make another move in February of ninety eight. You're gonna split up the Steiner brothers. Um I guess they're gonna have some storyline disagreements, but one thing we can all agree on today is that Henson shaving is the real deal. I gotta tell you in my real life I've been bragging about my razor from Henson for so long that I've become like an unofficial spokesperson, not just here on the show, but in my real life. I've got one in my travel bag. I got one here at home. I got one at the office. I convinced my barber to get one. Uh, My dad's got one. Everybody I know is in love with their Henson razor. And the deal is we all fell victim to one of those subscription scams, or we were overspending down at the drugstore. That's why you got to meet Henson shaving. Check this out. Henson shaving is a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer. That's right. Aerospace parts. That's what they do. They made parts for the international space station. They made parts for the Mars Rover, and now they're bringing that precision engineering to your doggone face. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble. The more the wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. You see, a bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. But by using these aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that are just .0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and more stable and more vibration-free shave. And it gets better. The razor also has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. You see, Henson shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. You see, the Henson razor works with a standard dual-edge blade. It gives you that old-school shave with the benefits of new-school tech. And here's my favorite part of this. Not only is it a better shave than what you've been doing. It's also only three to $5 a year to replace the blades. You heard me three to $5 a year. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime visit hinsonshavingcom slash 83 weeks to pick the razor for you and use the code 83 weeks. You'll get two years worth of blades for free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades. When you head to h e n s o n s h a v i n g dot com slash 83 weeks and use the code 83 weeks. You know what I love about this product? What's that? It just looks so cool. It does. And you know, it's old
1: school. It's like the most advanced rocket science, literally, technology combined with old school design. And I love this. And I've got a box of blades that'll probably last because I only shave about once every three or four days, unless I'm, you know, in public doing meetings and things. That'll last
0: you two or three years there.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm never going to have to go to the drugstore and spend the ridiculous amount of money. They've been putting razors and razor blades behind lock and key in, in drugstores for as long as I can remember because they're so damn expensive. You know, it's like the most highest price thing in a, in a drugstore is the razor blades. And I love this product, man. It's the best of both worlds. High-end technology, old-school design. I love
0: it. Not only is it better than what you've been doing, it's also cheaper. I got to tell you, I was intimidated. I was like, man, this is something like my handsome-ass grandfather used to use. Can I handle this? Yes, I can. I feel more like a badass, and it's cheaper. I'm telling you, it's the best shave I've ever had. It's a fantastic product. Go out of your way to try it. I'm not going to tell you how much it costs, but I will tell you this. I love the razor, but I assumed it was a lot more expensive because it was that good. And then when my dad said, okay, what's the code? I went and typed it in for him. 83 weeks. I was shocked at how cheap it was. Because it's really a one-time purchase. And after that, it's three to five dollars a year. So not only is Henson Shaving better, but it's also cheaper. How do you beat that? Hensonshaving.com slash eighty-three weeks. All right, so let's talk about the big split here. Super Superbrawl 1998. We just recently touched on this, but this is a big story. We didn't get too far in the weeds, so I want to do it now. Back on our Scott Steiner episode, you talked about the economic and creative necessity of splitting up the tag team. But let's talk us through how you navigate this, because it's not the first time they've been pitched this. Allegedly, Vince wanted to push Scott Steiner and give him, give him a WrestleMania title shot way back when, but he didn't want to leave his brother. And I guess there was even an opportunity for Rick Steiner to stick around WCW, but Bill Watts wasn't interested in Scott and Rick said, no, thanks. So these guys have always had each other's back, but now we're going to try the singles run that a lot of people would have felt was inevitable. But at this point they'd been together so long, maybe they thought it won't ever happen. Do you first pitch the idea or do they pitch you? How do you recall all that going down? I pitched them and Scott was excited
1: and now I may be conflating two separate meetings. So I want to be careful here. I Try to be accurate. Right. And I try not to bullshit my way through this stuff like most people do. But there were two conversations I had with the signers about this time. One was their contract renewal and then the other was splitting them up. And those two things were happening pretty close to the same time. I can't remember which one happened first but i remember specifically the discussion about splitting them up and the the reaction i got from scott was pretty pretty positive he was like a kid in a candy store Cause, and again i think and again you'd have to ask them cuz there's no way i can get inside of their heads but i think the reason they were reluctant to do it before was Probably the same reason that Hulk Hogan was reluctant to turn heel the year before he did, because there was no plan. It was like, okay, well, I get it. You're going to do that. And that's going to make a lot of noise, but then what? And I think with the Steiners, it was similar because I don't think they had the confidence in any of the people creatively. And certainly the the company wasn't going in any direction that would give them confidence previously about splitting. Whereas now, and what is this? 97.
0: No, this is going to be 98,
1: 98 by 98. We own the wrestling world in, in some yeah. respects. right?
0: Yeah. Television of 98. You're on top. No doubt. And I
1: think that that sense of confidence and growth and opportunity that existed all the way around them probably had a lot to do with, Hey, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. It's work. Let's try something else. Cause there's so much working. It's not as risky to, to take a big chance when you're, you're jumping on a train that's leaving the station and is going in the right direction, as opposed to jumping on a train that nobody can get started and may roll backwards. It's probably it.
0: How did you guys decide? All right. Who's turning on who, who's going to be the bad guy. Who's going to be the good guy. Was that just an automatic decision between the two of them? Did, was it, was there a debate?
1: I don't know. There'd been a debate. There'd have been a collaboration. I I would imagine Kevin Sullivan had a lot to do with that, that would have been his his kind of thing uh, with those guys. Um, I again would have been involved, might have had an opinion I would have shared, but that really would have been Kevin Sullivan's role at that point. Um, I think we all kind of sensed that Scott would be the heel. Okay, but, I mean na- na- just naturally, just. Again, you look at those two personalities, right? Backstage, not when there's no cameras around. Um, if you just were first introduced to them, you'd feel real comfortable talking to Rick. Scott would kind of make you a little nervous. Hmm. It's just the way he carried himself. And it, so I think that it would have been such a natural thing to make Scott the heel that I doubt there was a whole lot of conversation. I think my guess is I'd like to talk to Sullivan about it, but my guess is it was kind of a natural flow.
0: So there's even a tease within a week of this happening after the big turn where Scott's going to join the NWO and turn on his brother, where Scott has taken over the headsets on thunder and sending a message to his brother back home saying, I'm flying. I've chartered a jet. I'm flying straight home after the show and I'm coming to your house and we're going to talk. You've got until Monday to make your decision, but I've got you a spot with the NWO. And then we see the tease where it looks like Scott Steiner has, has welcomed his brother into the NWO. But Rick says, Nope, it's a double cross. He eventually gets beat down and there's a little bit of help from WCW, but it's, he's going to join in against his brother on team WCW to take on the NWO. In hindsight, was there a better way to do this creative one brother turning on another without the NWO or at that point, I mean, it's the main storyline. Is that the storyline everybody wanted to be in regardless?
1: Well, I, I think the NWO story, the NWO versus WCW story as a whole, that the the, the larger story um, was that it was NWO was the catalyst be, behind all of this dissension in this split, if you will. So I think it would have only made sense in that particular circumstance for the NWO to at least be the reason. Um, but your question was, In hindsight, was there a better way? In hindsight, there's always a better way. You know, there's always a better idea out there. So no matter how good of an idea is, there's always a way to make it a better idea. But I think at that time, I think it was the right thing to do at that time. Utilizing the NWO as the catalyst.
0: Well, Rick singles run is going to start out with a feud against several of the NWO guys. And of course, we're building up on the eventual revenge on Scott. He's going to go through Vincent, Kurt Henning, Scott Norton, and Kevin Nash. But the major storyline involves Buff Bagwell. Rick's going to wrestle Buff at a few house shows and then continue in the standard tag matches. Uh, He's going to team with Lex Luger to defeat Buff and Scott Steiner at Spring Stampede 98. Only get six minutes there. And Rick and Luger are then going to lose to Buff and Scott Norton on the April 22nd episode of Thunder after Rick is attacked with a chair. But that's not the big story. Right before Scott Steiner interferes to attack Rick with a chair, Rick comes off the second rope with a bulldog on Buff. Somehow Buff's head gets loose, and rather than being driven to the mat, he smashes his head into Rick's back as Rick is hitting the mat. And as a result, Buff has several damaged vertebrae and develops spinal shock. It's a pretty scary moment that every wrestling fan of the time remembers, and we all remember thinking about Christopher Reeve because this is not too long after quote unquote, Superman was paralyzed. And Rick Steiner is here involved in this. We've talked about the buff injury before from Rick's perspective. How was Rick dealing with this?
1: I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't near Rick when, I mean, when it all went down, all the focus, all my focus at least was on Marcus. That's I, I, I mean, Rick obviously felt bad. I remember seeing him. He was because none of us knew. All indications were in that moment when it first happened that, that Marcus was paralyzed from the deck down. None of us are doctors, you know, some people probably had more experience in spinal shock than others, obviously. But for the most part, we all assumed the worst because that's what it looked like right before our eyes. And, you know, I remember looking over at Rick and you can only imagine the look on his face, fear, sadness, shock, guilt, responsible, I think probably to some degree. Um but didn't spend a lot of time with Rick or thinking about Rick, even though he was a good friend. My focus was on Marcus at that point.
0: MLS number six five zero eight four equal housing landed. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com. I'm sure it had to be just an awful feeling for Rick. I mean, a universally loved and and beloved guy in the locker room, quote unquote, one of the boys, nobody ever wants to see somebody hurt, especially if they think, man, could I've done something differently there? But this is one of those deals where just accidents happen. As far as I know, I don't think there was ever any hard feelings between buff and Rick Steiner over this, right? No. And
1: I think the other, the other reason why Rick probably felt as bad as he did is because They were pretty good friends. Yeah. It it went beyond just, you know, what happened in the ring and, you know, what Rick may have felt would have been his responsibility, even though it was just one of those things, but they were tight. This was not just a casual relationship. They were very, very close friends.
0: Let's go to July 13th. It's an episode of Nitro. Just one week after Goldberg has um, beaten Hulk Hogan at the Georgia Dome. And that's the first time on that same episode at the Georgia Dome where we see Buff Bagwell. Judy pushes him out. Hero's welcome in Georgia, even though he left as a bad guy, we know the real life story. And we're pulling for him. So a week later, he's pushed to the ring uh, by his doctor, and he's going to do an interview with Mean Gene. And the NWO at this point is split into two groups. It's the black and white versus the red and black. And Gene asks Buff which side he's going to align with, because remember now, he was an NWO member. But instead of answering, he calls out Rick Steiner to confront him over the neck injury. And that brings Hollywood Hogan out to come mocking Bagwell's injury and pushing his wheelchair over. And the crowd starts chanting, Hogan sucks. Hogan sucks. So first you have the NWO versus WCW dominate creative. And now you've got sort of warring factions within the NWO. I could see how in the middle of this, after he's calling out Rick Steiner, but Hogan comes out, maybe Rick feels like, damn, we had an opportunity here and now I feel like I'm lost in the shuffle. Do You remember Rick ever getting his, his uh, feathers ruffled about creative, or was that not really his deal? I'm sure he did,
1: but he never brought it to me. Okay. And, and, and if, you know, there were times when he'd have, when Rick would have questions only, because he wanted to perhaps improve what he was doing by improve. I mean, um, add to collaborate. Hey, what if we do this too or instead or whatever. But when it came to, um, not being happy with creative, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Rick would have gone to Kevin Sullivan or whoever, you know, in 96, 97, 98, it would definitely be Kevin Sullivan, but he never came to me with it ever.
0: Well, the following week, Mean Gene brings Rick Steiner out to talk about what happened the previous week. Buff is wheeled out, uh, once again, this time by a WCW trainer. And Buff's going to forgive Rick. And Rick helps Buff stand up from the wheelchair. And just as he does, Scott Steiner attacks Rick with a chair. Bagwell then stops Scott from hitting Rick again. Then he grabs the chair to attack Rick. Buff is going to rip off his shirt to reveal an NWO shirt underneath. So he has reformed his Alliance with the black and white. That's actually pretty good. It's not you know, bad. Not bad. Not,
1: not, not bad at all. I, I like that as you're laying it out and I'm picturing it because I had forgotten about it, but that's really kind of good.
0: So of course there's teases of singles matches between Rick and Scott at road wild and then fall brawl. Uh, I assume the hope is to get us towards Starcade. But I want to bring up Fall Brawl because the match ends when it appears that Buff Bagwell has re-injured his neck. Yeah. Somehow it gets worse. In the build up for his eventual match with uh, Scott, Rick appears on Nitro during this time for an interview with me and Gene. They're standing in the ring and Rick starts cutting a promo on Scott. <laughs> and then a maniacal laugh interrupts. Can't believe this is real, but you've got Chucky. The doll from the child's play horror movie and television franchise appear on the big screen. And he's going to call Rick a quote, genetic throwback who barks. And Chucky then cuts a promo on Rick and promotes the release of the upcoming bride of Chucky movie. And the doll closes his promo by telling Rick, Don't mess with Scott. What I really want to do is direct and Scott's the lead in my next project. So if you mess with Scott, you're messing with me and my Academy award.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love this. This is so awesome. I love it. We started a trend. We saw Chucky in the promotion of WWE recently. So many things that happened in, in WCW first. Nitro was the Don't end. you dare
0: take credit for Chucky.
1: You shouldn't be proud of Chucky. What's wrong with you, Eric? Why not? I mean, it was awesome. It was the first no, time awesome. we integrated that character in a way, and we merged these the cross-promotional opportunities between feature films and a cult classic and wrestling. It was unbelievable. We should have gotten awards
0: for that. Instead, we got a check. Take the check. It's cool. Do you remember how sizable the check was? No, I don't.
1: I think that one, I don't think that one came through WCW. I think that one actually came through Turner ad sales.
0: it reminds me of that quote from Jurassic Park. When you're saying we found a way to merge. You're excited about it. The line from Jurassic Park is your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should.
1: (laughs) That's very fitting, isn't it? Chucky in WCW, like but it was Halloween Havoc too. Come on. Now you gotta, it was thematic, right? I,
0: I could see how, if I'm Rick Steiner, if I wasn't your hunting buddy, I would think you were mad at him. I don't you know what I mean? think
1: I had fun. I you know, Rick? I think Rick had fun with it. I'm going to have to ask him now. Yeah. You know, I, cause I don't know, you know, Rick and I had this weird, I mean, Rick was so cool, but he never. He never bitched or complained or even quietly suggested things to me like that if he was upset. So maybe he was, and I was completely oblivious to it because I thought I was, you know, achieving something by cross-promoting with a big movie studio. So I might have been all sucked into my own opportunities and goals and not even realize that he was upset about it. But I'm going to have to ask him.
0: Well, here's the thing in fairness, back in JCP, he used to draw a hand puppet on and talk to himself. So, you know, all this time later, cutting promos on dolls. It's just another day at the office. Maybe. Hey, Mick Foley had a sock. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, come on. I'll never forget. We were taping a podcast with Mick Foley on his great podcast. that comes out on Friday called Foley is pod and he cheap plug shameless. And he's, he's sort of poking fun at how stupid it was to have Hulk Hogan coming out and play an air guitar. And he's just lamenting for about five minutes about how stupid he looked and how silly it was and how he couldn't believe this was wrestling. And then when he finished, I said, aren't you the guy who used to pull a sock puppet out of your sweatpants? And he was like, yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> the bar
1: is in the eye of the beholder for sure.
0: This era would see Buff Bagwell do a lot of direct to DVD or VHS or TV or whatever it was day of the warrior type nonsense, where they're just looking for jacked up dudes that look good in a loincloth. Was there ever any interest in Scott Steiner in that regard? As far as you know, cause he had a hell of a look. I could have seen that look being a villain in a movie for sure.
1: Don't ever recall anybody reaching out to me about Scott. I don't think Scott was interested in that.
0: I don't, yeah, I don't I get that. I
1: don't, know that he had any desire or interest at all in doing it and i think if someone would have come to me and said hey you think scott would like to do a movie i would have passed it on to scott sure but i couldn't imagine him doing it that's a whole different world that takes patience and if you think the wrestling
0: world is political <laughs>
1: nah I, I don't see scott if he would have tried it it would have lasted till lunch
0: Well, at uh, Halloween Havoc, it's Scott Steiner teaming with the Giant to defend the WCW tag team titles against Rick and Buff. But surprise, surprise, it's a swerve. Buff is going to turn on Rick. Somehow Rick still wins and is able to become tag team champions by himself. And then immediately afterwards, he pins Scott in a singles match after fighting off both Buff and Stevie Ray. So he's like over like we're over here, defeating the heels, overcoming the odds. And then the next night on nitro, he says he'll take Kenny chaos of high voltage as his new tag team partner. Mm. Really? We had a good start to the plan.
1: Mm. Remember how you've heard me, especially on strictly business, which by the way, if anybody listening to this, hasn't listened to strictly business, I encourage you to, we should have a little bug here that says follow, you know? Yeah, we, we will in post. All right. but. Follow 83 Weeks, subscribe to 83 Weeks, and you'll automatically be updated and notified when Strictly Business drops because we share a feed, right? Yep. Strictly Business is off the chain good when it comes to the business of the wrestling business. We break things down in great detail. Check that out. I just had to throw that in there. As long as we're shameless plugging shit, I had to plug. Oh, that.
0: no. <laughs> listen, I thought that was leading somewhere because I'm leading somewhere because I don't want you to sleep on how bad the creative was here because we're not doing <laughs> To recap, we flip this dude over in a car <laughs> and then we have him split from his brother because he doesn't want to join the NWO. We didn't have an idea for Ted DiBiase, so we stick him with these guys who've never really had him. A- Alex,
1: why did you have to put it that way? Why do you have to make it sound like it was something I was, I was sitting back on, hm, I know how to fuck with this diners.
0: And as if that wasn't enough, we're going to have a doll cutting promos on him. <laughs> then we're going to let him beat up his brother and everybody else in the zip code. We give him a tag team partner who we've known mostly only seen, put other guys over. I'm sure he was uh, tossing a turning at night, but not me and you. Cause we got sleep. Me sleep. Me is the new home for chili sleep. Listen, I hate to play favorites. we got a lot of great sponsors on our program. This is one I can't live without. You remembered me bragging about Chili Sleep? Well, these are the same folks. Just Sleep Me is the new name. They make the coldest sleep systems available. When we finish recording today, I'm packing up, hitting the road, taking a Chili Sleep with me. I can't sleep worth a darn without it. You see, Chili Sleep, I guess it's Sleep Me now, my apologies, creates the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures. Whatever you call it, you're going to get deeper, more restorative sleep. Now, I want to explain these systems are water based. They're temperature controlled mattress pads that fit over your existing mattress to provide you the ideal sleep temperature. Now, occasionally I get a DM is this a water bed? No, there's no water in your bed. It's using the amazing thermal properties of water to create really cold air that circulates through your bed. It's unbelievable. To keep your bed at the perfect temperature. When I say perfect, I mean it. My wife keeps her side of the bed at a different temperature than I do my side. She likes to sleep a little warmer. I like to sleep a little cooler, but right now they've launched something I'm so excited about. It's got AI. Eric, check this out. Sleep Me just launched the new DocPro sleep system with new Hyber AI. You experience the ultimate cooling power of the DocPro sleep system, but now you can pair it with the new Sleep Me app and get real-time temperature adjustments based on your current sleep activity. I can't believe new hybrid AI technology is a thing, and it's now included with SleepMe. It's the industry's first ever sleep tech that tracks and optimizes your sleep temperature you get in real time. So you're gonna get the best sleep of your life with AI-driven technology. Head over right now to sleep.me forward slash 83 weeks to learn more, and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, cooler, Uller, or cube sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S L E E P dot me slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. It's the real deal, isn't it, Eric? It is. And it's
1: completely changed my wife's sleep pattern. She sleeps. Much more deeply um now using Sleep Me. Definitely. And especially in the summertime. I told the story before. We don't have air conditioning this monster of a house we have here in Wyoming. Because you only need it about, I don't know, a total of ten days a year, maybe two weeks out of the year total. But man, when you do you need it. And Sleep Me is saved. it's I won't say it saved our marriage, but it certainly made sleeping together much more fun. Let's put it that way. Hey, hey
0: now. I love hey that. Hey now, Show come on. Now. Sleep. Me forward slash eighty three weeks. So guys, I know what you're thinking. All right, we put Rick with Kenny Chaos from High Voltage. Now they're gonna have a hell of a tag team run and reinvent themselves. Nope, Chaos gets injured. He's out. If it wasn't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. So as he's looking for someone to turn to, he knows he can trust this person to be his greatest tag team partner yet. Rick's next tag team partner is Judy Bagwell. Oh God. I'm surprised Rick didn't shoot me when we were up hunting Are in you Canada.
1: Sure? This motherfucker owe you money. He could have, he could have left me up in the woods, up in the Yukon where nobody would have found me, but a freaking bear. And I would have been nothing. There would have been nothing left to me, but a steaming pile of grizzly shit under a pine
0: tree. Well, that, might have been what booked this I mean when I <laughs> all of Rick Steiner's great tag team partners, Judy Bagwell is next. this is long before there was a Rick Flair drip marijuana, but you were clearly finding some locally grown there in Atlanta. Wow, uh Rick's going to face off against Scott one more time at World War Three, but he's attacked and he's injured, and he's gone until March first nineteen ninety nine he returns in a big way to team with Goldberg to take on and beat Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell. And the reaction to Rick is always good. But when he's paired with Goldberg here, it's just tremendous. Needless to say, you owed him one, right? And when I make good, I really make good. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. He, he earned that one. <laughs> it does feel like after this, though, we don't have a ton of great plans for him. At the May 9th, 99 Slamboree, Rick would beat Booker T to win the TV title, a championship that he held like a decade earlier. And the dude's getting good reactions. He's going to defend it against the likes of DDP, even Sting, Parka, Fit Finley, Buff Bagwell, Perry Saturn, and Vampiro. And then we're going to have him, through all of this, be a heel. So him and Scott are both playing heels, but separately, not as a heel tandem. And then Rick would eventually drop the title to Chris Benoit shortly after you leave WCW. And we've talked about the fact that, or how you went home or went on hiatus or got fired or whatever you want to call it. But I know that you had a handful of quote unquote, real friends in wrestling. And you've talked about pretty openly and honestly, that DDP was near the top of that list, but Rick Steiner was too. Were you in touch with him during your absence from WCW or no, 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 no.
1: And that was intentional. It was partly me, you know, not partly me wanting to separate myself from it emotionally, um, and just figure out how to move on with my life. You know, I was still pretty young at that time and had decisions to make and choices and opportunities. So it was just like, okay, I'm done, I'm done. And once I'm done with something, I'm really done with it. I don't linger. You know, not to go too heavy into this, but even in my personal relationships, you know, previously to marrying my beautiful wife, um, I remember there was a situation where I was with this woman, and she uh, she was from the West Coast, and I wasn't. And she came home one day and said, Eric, if we're going to stay together. We're going to have to move to the West Coast. I said, no problem. I get it. I get it. She took off. She was a flight attendant. She took off on a trip for about three days. It was in the middle of like January. I'm in Minnesota and I'm steaming because I was given an ultimatum and I hate ultimatums, always have. But she gave me that ultimatum. So while she was gone, I took everything in the house that was hers and I put it out in the front yard, front of the house in a pile. Then it snowed, like two feet of snow. She comes home one night from her trip she comes in the house almost everything's gone or a lot of the stuff that was hers is gone she thought oh he oh, packed it all up we're getting ready to move to la hey eric where's what'd you do with all the stuff i said it's out there she said out where i said out there she looked outside it was dark except for a pile of snow i don't get it she's looking for a moving truck <laughs> i said no go out it's underneath that snow she reached in and there's like a toaster and a pair of underwear and
0: hair curler
1: (laughs) i mean because once i'm done with something i'm really done with it and that's kind of how i felt about wcw at the time so i didn't and i also didn't want it's awkward i don't like putting good friends in awkward situations it's like even now i avoid not avoid but i i leave bruce alone you know i never want somebody because they are friends with me to feel awkward as a result of that. And it's easier for me to achieve that just by pulling myself out of that situation. So I did. And as a result, you know, I only talked to DDP because he lived down the street from me.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, right.
1: had, I don't talk to people on the phone very much. I'm just not that guy.
0: Well, with Rick gone somehow, some way the, uh, or with you going rather, uh, somehow, some way Rick reforms the varsity club with Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan. I don't know that that was the best idea for 1999. And when you returned in 2000, Rick had not been active. Um, he does return in January of one. He's a baby face, then a heel. Really? It's all a mess at the end of WCW. Um, are you having any communication you know, we'll call it 2000, 2001 with Rick, are you still being very guarded or have you resumed your friendship and y'all are hanging out and hunting and fishing and the whole deal again?
1: No, I I think we went hunting. We took a really cool trip. It was a once in a lifetime trip. And I think, I think it was in 2000. Um, I I could be wrong, but 2000, 2001, we went up to the Yukon. We went as far North as we could possibly go without ending up in the Arctic Circle. That's how far north we were. And, like, we left, uh, Rick met me, I think, in Denver, and then we went from Denver to Seattle, and then from Seattle, we ended up taking, like, three puddle jumpers to finally get us up to this remote hunting camp where we were.
0: Way the hell
1: up there. And it was just the most awesome trip. We were hunting elk and moose, and we each got one of each. Um, but it was, it was because it was so remote. We're up there hunting with some indigenous, you know, they don't call them Native Americans in Canada. They call them indigenous people. But with with an indigenous uh, group of people, they weren't a family, but there was a group of them up there. You know, no alcohol, couldn't have alcohol up there. Um, and all we ate was moose meat. We had moose for breakfast, moose for lunch, and moose moose for dinner. And it was the most amazing trip, I've, hunting trip I've ever been on. And Rick and I had hunted together before. Rick would join uh, me, my wife Lori, our son Garrett, uh, Lori's uncles uh, Al and Gary, and we would all go to De- uh, outside of Craig, Colorado, outside of Denver, and we hunted out there for a couple of years. So we had spent a lot of time hunting together. Rick took uh, Garrett on Garrett's first hunting trip for white-tailed deer, and Garrett and Ray Trailer. And Rick Steiner and I were all hunting together on that trip. So we had a lot of history of doing things together outside of wrestling. Um, but that, that trip really took the cake. That was, that was an amazing trip. I'll never forget to tell the story quick. Cause I know you got to go, but yeah, the weather up there was pretty decent where we were hunting and, and, and we did, a we did some horseback riding, right? We had to ride horses to get to these hunt locations. And I remember, you know, <laughs> the guide looks at rick you know rick's probably 260 or whatever he was at the time he looks at rick and he looks over at these horses And these horses are not used to hauling 260 guys around right and he looks over and there's one like really big horse that could handle rick because we were out for a long time so rick stands on a tree stump to get his leg up over this horse finally gets seated in this horse and we take off and while we're on our way, it was like a three hour horseback ride to get where we were going. It starts to rain. Now Rick's in this big heavy wool coat, because it was pretty cold up there. But it's it starts to rain. And then it got real cold. And this soaking cold wool, heavy wool jacket, it was completely soaked with water because of the rain. Now it freezes. When <laughs> we finally get back to camp, we had to ride through the dark. We hunted it all day. We finally get back to the dark. And Rickson is frozen hunting jacket up on this horse and he had to get off, but he couldn't bend anything. Everything was stiff and frozen. It, you had to be there to see it, to see this 260 pound guy trying to crawl off a horse. It was about on his last legs. Hell of a trip.
0: WCW on their last legs. Unfortunately, you're not successful in getting your hands on the deal. Unfortunately, the WWF doesn't pick up Rick's contract. He doesn't actually wrestle again until February 1st, 2002. He's just going to sit on the sidelines and collect those paychecks. He's going to compete almost exclusively in Japan, wrestling for new Japan, all Japan and Noah until uh, 2005. We'll have a couple of shots in Europe and Puerto Rico, but he's kind of quietly just ending it here. I had a conversation with Rick years ago. And I asked him about this period and he said, I just found myself on a bus in Japan filled with a bunch of young Japanese guys. And I'm the only quote unquote American. And I'm looking out the window and I'm thinking to myself, I'm too old for this shit. What am I doing? And it was like a, a a lethal weapon type moment. And, um, we know that. You come back to wrestling in 2002 as a general manager for the WWE and not too long after that, Scott Steiner is going to come in. I think a lot of people thought, well, if Scott's in, maybe Rick is going to be in. It never really happens. Uh, Rick does spend a little bit of time with TNA and I think he was there before you arrived in 2010, um, away from the ring. Rick got involved in the real estate business back in 2004 and uh, eventually became a real estate broker over there in the uh, North Metro Atlanta area. And I think a lot of people know that he served on the Cherokee County School District. He's got uh, three sons, Hudson, Maverick, and Bronson. We all know Bronson, signed to the WWE a couple of years ago, quickly became the NXT champion under the name Braun Breaker. It's really uh, cool to see that Steiner legacy live on. And I know that the company really likes alliterations and so they like Braun Breaker. But when your name is Bronson Rex Steiner and you're named after Charles Bronson, it feels like you should just be Bronson Steiner. Like what a badass name that would be. But maybe we'll see if it changes on the main roster. What, what do you think, uh, what do you, Eric? What do you think Rick Steiner's legacy in wrestling will be? A high performing, consummate professional.
1: Okay. I mean, he was so good, innovative in many respects, respected by everybody. There was no one that I've ever met that's in the wrestling industry that and worked with Rick that didn't respect him. And I, what's your? That's that. By the way, that's a pretty major accomplishment. There's not a lot is, of mate. other talent at that level that you can point to and said say. He was not only respected, but liked and respected by everybody.
0: Well said. And when you're talking about professional, you got to be talking about our friends at Empira. they help businesses plan for the future by turning ideas into actionable plans. Empira provides visibility into the success of your plan, helping you understand what's working and what's not maybe like Chucky dolls. I don't know. Empira is user friendly, fast to start and helps you and your team quickly get to work on your business plan. Impira helps you overcome the hardest part of starting a business, turning ideas into plans and breathing life into them. Think of Impira as your tag team partner, helping you stay focused on what matters in your business. Impira simplifies the process of business planning, helping you focus on what's important. They eliminate the guesswork. They help you make informed decisions based on data, not just gut feelings. And with Impira business planning becomes less overwhelming and more manageable. Appira has a structured approach to business planning, keeping you on track and organized. They help you stay focused on your long-term goals and objectives and keep you motivated and driven along the way. They also give you regular updates and insights, keeping you informed and up to date on your progress. They'll even help you prioritize your tasks and ensure that you're working on the most important things first. Empyra is an essential tool for businesses of all sizes, providing a roadmap to success. Empyra enables collaboration between team members and fostering communication and teamwork. And with Empira, you'll have peace of mind knowing that your business plan is well-structured, thought out, and most importantly, achievable. Sign up now and receive free onboarding, your first 14 days free and 24-7 support. Get ahead of the game and save 20% on your subscription by using the code WrestleBiz at checkout. Launch your business plan faster and with less effort than ever before when you visit EMPIRAA.com forward slash Eric. That's empira.com forward slash Eric. That's EMPIRAA.com forward slash Eric. Start your journey today to success. Can I jump yep. in on this one real quick? Yes. Um,
1: John Alba and I, John, you know, my co-host on Strictly Business, we did the uh, we did a live onboarding together with Impira. Absolutely fantastic process, and this tool and it really is a valuable tool. Whether you're a sole proprietor, it's just you working out of your house, you're selling widgets and whatever, or you've got a small team, whatever business you're in, however big or small, this tool. You know, we all know it's having a business plan, going through the process of developing a really good business plan. The the real value in that is the process forces you to think through the little things, to think through the aspects of your proposed business that are not the most exciting things to think about, especially if you're an entrepreneur like you and I are, Right. It's easy to focus on the big ideas and get excited about those things. But along with those big ideas comes all the small steps along the way that it takes to execute them. And you absolutely need a business plan. But the reason I like Empire so much, and I'm so excited about this, is that it's a tool that allows you to execute and stay focused on your business plan. It's not in lieu of a business plan. It's in support of a good business plan. And whether again, it's just you, it's you and your wife, it's you and a buddy, or it's you and six or eight people that are working together in a small business. This is a tool that can make you way more efficient and focus on your business as opposed to having to be in your business. And by that, I mean, if you've got the vision, you've got the goals, you've got the desire, and you see that big picture, being able to focus on that aspect of your business is where your strengths are as opposed to focusing on all the little things it takes to execute. But if you don't have a team behind you, this is a tool that allows you to do that efficiently and effectively and not miss a beat. Can't say enough great things about this product or the service. The guys are in Australia, but they'll work with you 24 hours a day. They'll get you onboarded and they're a great group of people. By the way, absolutely huge wrestling fans and fans of 83 Weeks which is how they found us.
0: I love that. Check it out. I think you're going to dig it. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Rick Seiner today, 2023. What's your relationship like with him now? Are y'all in any sort of regular communication or contact? (laughs) Yeah, You know
1: me. Uh, On the phone, no,
0: but we see each other several times throughout the year.
1: And uh, last time I saw him was in Nashville uh, with you. Uh, And, you know, just it's like uh, we didn't miss a beat. We both look a little different. Rick's off doing phenomenal things in the real estate industry and very active in his community. Um, He's a, he's just a solid, solid human being. And uh,
0: I look forward to seeing him every time I do. Eric has a great question here for us. He says, why was there never a dog collar match between Rick and Scott Steiner during their 98 feud? It would have been an excellent booking decision. Yeah.
1: Would have been kind of cool. Would have been thematic and consistent and, Tied into a backstory. So I agree with you. Why wasn't it? I don't know. It's hard to well, say why it didn't come up in conversation, but it's, nonetheless. It's a great idea.
0: Uh, Brad Stanton says the Steiners needed to break up to become single stars. Is there any tag team you hoped would never break up? No,
1: I never felt that strongly about tag teams.
0: Adam Jefferson says what separated Scott from Rick in terms of a successful solo run?
1: I think desire, I think Scott had a different desire in the wrestling business than Rick did. Kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think Scott just, I think Scott saw himself as being that top guy and, and worked towards that. I I just don't think it was important enough to Rick for Rick to, to do the things that Rick needed to do to make
0: that happen. Next week, we're going to do something that needs to happen. We're going to watch you get your head shaved bald again. This time it's on impact. It happened March 15th, 2010. And our old pal Mick Foley will be the one doing the trimming. We'll also discuss Rob Van Dam coming into the company. Jeff Hardy, uh, being with Hulk Hogan sting, turning heel. Somehow AJ styles and Ric Flair are paired together. The nasty boys and Jimmy Hart are going to take on team 3d plus the band and Kevin Nash. Lots of fun TNA stuff to talk about next week. Of course. You get all of our shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com, including live studio audiences like we had here today. Why not try the first week on us? You can get a free trial right now at adfreeshows.com. And while you're there, you're going to check out something I'm pretty proud of. If you're an old school fan of the WWF, you've heard this name on Bruce's podcast, John Filippelli. John Filippelli is the guy who fired Bruce Pritchard in 1991. And then when Bruce came back, John was out. So, those two years of WWF stuff that we've never really gotten to talk about on Bruce's podcast, we talk about it all with John Filippelli. It's exclusive to adfreeshows.com. He's the former executive producer, and he's got the dirt on everybody. And I mean, everybody. We talk about the steroid trial, we talk about the Ring Boy scandal, we talk about everything good and bad and ugly. And yes, we talk about the McMahons and Kevin Dunn and Bruce Pritchard, and he pulls no punches on our old pal Bruce. I highly recommend it. It's at adfreeshows.com right now. You're also going to hear some stories about The Undertaker you've never heard before that are going to blow you away, uh, some behind-the-scenes of that NBC relationship, and how David Sahati got into wrestling. It's all posted right now on the episode called The Insiders over at adfreeshows.com, and we got a ton of really fun watch-alongs including Eric Bischoff watching Starrcade 97, Kevin Nash watching his streak-ending win versus Goldberg, Earl Hebner watching that famous main event, the evil twin referee angle, all of that, including JR watching the very first flare steamboat from 1989, all posted over at adfreeshows.com. I should mention before we get out of here, if your business targets men that are 25 to 54 years old, buddy, there's no better place to reach them than right here on 83 Weeks. In fact, you've heard us do some of the same ads for the same companies year after year after year. Why is that? Well, because it really works. And with our super targeted audience, there's very little waste. Go to advertisewitheric.com now and find out about advertising with 83 Weeks. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. It's at 83 Weeks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The easiest way to support the show, though, just go hit that subscribe button. It's 83weeksonyoutube.com. That's 83 weeks on youtube.com. And we've got a ton of fun merch up over at box Greatly appreciate all the support. Eric, I don't know what I expected today, but I'm glad we got to pay tribute to one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. Mr. Rick Steiner. I do as well. And you motivated me to uh, give Rick a call. So thanks for that. Hey, and this Thursday, it's his birthday. So go out of your way this Thursday on Rick Steiner's, uh, 62nd birthday let's watch some of those old great steiner matches and maybe we'll leave the judy bagwell and chucky stuff alone thanks everybody we'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together